Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Away we go. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Drive-by Cinema. I'm Rick, and with me, my partially Scottish co-host, Paul, <laughs> known as No Notes Paul. Welcome. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Welcome, every- welcome, everybody. I think I can do a Scottish mock accent now without being condemned or vilified. Well, you're wearing your family tartan, aren't you? I am wearing my family tartan, yeah. Uh, I've taken my DNA test. It does seem that I'm quite Scottish. I'm partially Swedish as well, it says. Yeah, but I think it's probably the rapist that came to Scotland, isn't it? Okay, thank you. Sorry about that, Scandinavian listeners. Sorry, sorry. No, they they pillaged. They pillaged. They didn't do the other stuff. They just pillaged. These tests, anyway, are... They're surely bullshit, aren't they, these tests? They can't tell that you're... 3% Swedish or whatever. Well, should we get into this? I mean, one, parallel evolution is a thing. Yeah. So we can't be certain that one uh, genetic alteration in a particular strand of DNA originated with one person in one geographic area to begin with, can we? Absolutely. Although it's likely. Well, what is a Swedish or a Scottish or an English genome anyway? Well, they do kind of touch on this. You know, so they say, you know, uh, 36% Scottish, and they say, but that designation of Scottish is from the last 500 years. Of course, yeah. So they do account for that kind of, the fluff that's surrounding their, their interpretation of it all. They don't account for it. They just say, there's a bunch of stuff we can't account for. <laughs> they wave it away. And they do say, you know, 36% is our best estimate, but it might be from 0 to 36, but not higher than 36, <laughs> incredibly. So uh, if you look at the details, they're quite careful about how quietly they they denounce what they're saying. Sorry. There's no denying that DNA does run along family trees, however, provided you're not a bastard. It does. But no two people, with the exception of twins, in Scotland have the same DNA, right? So... No. You know, what, what does it mean to have, uh, you know, a Scottish genome? It doesn't... It's not defined. What they're talking about is clusters of correlations of, you know, whatever they're called, you know, gene sequences, aren't, aren't they? Yeah. That's what they're talking about. But how much credibility can we put on the data that they've used to base these assumptions on? And when did we start doing DNA tests anyway? How far back can they go with it? They get the first tests in and then assume a, a level of validity to the family trees that are attested. We know their family history for 300 years. They all seem to be from this area kind of thing. Well, you're claiming that people didn't move around so much. It's not as if... I mean, Britain's been invaded countless times over the last 2,000 years alone, you know, probably much before that as well. And left their genetic material all over the place. <laughs> Uh, maybe the, the medical genome thing that you didn't get is more useful. Yeah. Well, that's what I paid for, and they decided <laughs> to cancel it without telling me. I wanted to talk this week about something we mentioned briefly last week, which was you going on about cafetiers. Oh, why do you want to talk about that? Because of the crisis in coffee as a beverage. 
Because what? Because it's made of civets, civet dung. Um, but <laughs> but it is an example, I suppose. Look, <clears throat> I want to contrast coffee with tea, the superior beverage, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Uh-huh. And tea, you know, doesn't suffer from the same problems that coffee has. I mean, tea has been made pretty much the same way. You know, you get a pot, a teapot, you warm it up, you put some tea in it, you put boiling water on the tea, and then pour it out into cups with some milk in. And that's it. And really, tea has been made pretty much that way for hundreds it of has. years. Yeah. The innovation, the biggest innovation in tea... Plus or minus the milk. Indeed. The biggest innovation in tea has been the tea bag, which has meant that people can just pop a single tea bag in a mug and make a cup of tea at any point. Now, slow down. I was corrected by a friend, you know. We're talking about the U, the U non-U, you know, the upper class, non-upper class way of putting milk before tea or tea before milk. Uh, and I said it impacted flavour. And they said, no, it's because uh, porcelain china was so delicate that uh, pouring water, hot boiling Tea infused water or tea brewed water into the into the cup would uh, would crack it, and that is true. But it does impart a different flavour. Putting milk first, controversial, but mm. yes, I think it supposedly is to do with the way the milk heats up. Heats up, yeah. If you put a if you pour milk into boiling water, yes, it suddenly gets very hot. Yeah, first splash yeah. of milk gets very hot. It gets overheated. Whereas if you pour the hot water into the milk supposedly you're heating the milk up more slowly and, and so there is a difference although it's accidentally discovered well if you're making it in a teapot then mm. absolutely no doubt that you should put the milk in the cup before you pour the brewed tea onto the milk yeah absolutely yeah. yeah but you can't do that with a tea bag in a mug well i mean teapots are out of fashion I mean, tea is out of fashion in this country, incredibly. Coffee has become our mainstay. It's a fad. It's a mere fashion. It'll go away. Look, but when you're making tea in a mug, you can't obviously put the milk in first. That that would be... And what's wrong with the tea bag? Nothing. Nothing wrong with the tea bag. It's convenience. Now, people say the sweeping's off the floor. The sweeping's off the floor. The tea in tea bag, is in British tea bags, is damn fine quality stuff. It is not the sweepings off the floor. It is not the cheap leaves. It's tippy leaves. It's orange pico. Yeah. But it's shredded. It's shredded orange pico. It's darn fine tea. Just, yeah. you know, mashed up. That's all. No, nothing wrong with tea bags. It's a great innovation. But that's the only tea innovation we've had. I mean, someone did make instant tea once, but we don't see any more of that, do we? That went, that died. Gone. I like, I like a bit of instant tea. But all that, sugar, all that sugar in it. you know, it's, it's sugar with a bit of tea in it. I've got some here. Wittard's lemon and lime tea. But coffee has got a big problem on its hands. A rocky road of innovation. Yeah. There's so many ways of making coffee. There are so many ways of brewing coffee. Can I just say, I had to buy coffee bags, which are tea bags with coffee in these days. Taylor's coffee bags. They're really good. Also, the coffee pyramid. You know the coffee pyramid? What's the coffee it's like pyramid? it's it's like a coffee tea bag, but it's a pyramid shape, and it's got it's got a little uh, a, a little tassel tie on it that you pull, and it tightens the bag and squeezes the coffee goodness out. <laughs> and they're both much See? faster than this is than stupid pods. Complete nonsense. Percolators, with the where you put the filter. I like in, a percolator. You put the coffee in, and it drips water through. That has a seventies teas made vibe to it all, doesn't it? That percolator thing. 
Now, in a in a coffee shop, a barista uses one of those fancy machines, those Italian chrome. So sixteen things. atmospheres, yeah. Exactly, it's pressure. That's how you make espresso, isn't it? It's high pressure that goes through the coffee. Um, it leaches the oil out too to get a different flavour, apparently. Different flavour, yeah. Mm. yeah. It, and it, it's quite difficult to replicate that in the domestic context. It is, that different flavour being extremely bitter and unpleasant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you can do it. There are these, I think, you, you referred to as a, a cafetiere, you referred to it as a mm. press, I think. A press, yeah. But it's not a press. I think you can get things that are domestic presses which do go to the appropriate pressure to make the coffee. Um, there are these things you can put on top of a cup and they, you push down on them or something. And, and You're forgetting the other way in Italy. There's those octagonal sort of aluminium little oh, teapots yes. they put on, on the, the stove. stove. Yeah. I yeah. think they do make quite a good brew. And then, of course, these days, coffee makers have gone all like computer printer on us. Very unenvironmental. Yeah, that's right. They're now packaging coffee in pre-packaged pods that you have to put in a special machine. The machines are cheap. The machines are very cheap. They're very cheap. Much cheaper than your cappuccino machine that you used to buy from Keurig for 200 quid. But the pods are expensive. Yeah, what's that? 25 pence a cup. To keep buying the the pods for your machine, don't you? Now, back in the day, well, still now actually. Now, now I'm, I'm, I've put my cafetiere away. I'm on the filter filter funnel now, so I just get a filter paper, yeah. put the coffee in, and yeah. it comes. You know, it fills up a funnel, little little conic funnel, and yeah. then you just pour the water in. It drips through into your cup, in, oh, straight into the cup, funnel into the cup. Really good, much cleaner than the cafetiere, not as gritty. A really good brew, not bitter like a like a like a pressure fed pressure fed espresso. Uh, and a really good cup of coffee too, and cheap. The filters are what you know, two pounds for forty. The little filter, the conic plastic conic thing, you, you put it in is two quid, and you get a nice cup of coffee for eight to ten pence. So, Look. barring the price of the milk and sugar, of course, and the washing up cost and the purchase of the uh, the mug, <laughs> but apart for the coffee itself, eight to ten pence ago. So not you bad. You shouldn't be putting sugar in coffee or tea, Paul. That's a mistake. You I never said I did. I was you know, calculating for our customers. Yeah. Fair enough. Look. But go on, sorry, what's your main point, Rich? My main point is that coffee is in a sort of marketing and sales disaster area where there's far too many innovations. Uh, And now the consumer is being abused by these coffee pod machines. It's got no future. It's a straggly stray dog with wet matted hair, isn't it? You know, you can't comb that out ever at any time. And coffee's not that good. It just doesn't hold (laughs) a candle to tea. Tea's better, it's a better drink. Better in many respects. It's one area, I think, where we do see eye to eye with the Chinese, you know, tea. Because they understand tea. I love I love jasmine tea with the Chinese. That's a cracking combination. Do you like chrysanthemum? I don't know what that is. It's not strictly tea, though, is it? Uh, although it can be. When you take dim sum in Hong Kong or, or in southern China. It sounds like the name of a tennis player, if I'm honest. They'll mix the chrysanthemum tea with a strong pot of whatever kind of normal tea. So you get a mix of the two. And that is... But I'm sorry, it's loaded up with sugar because it's a flowery tea. And that's that's a nice pot of tea too. But yeah, good on the Chinese for sorting some tea out for us. And yeah, you know, it's they deserve kudos for that. In about 50 years' time, Scotland will become one of the best areas for growing tea. Wow. Because of climate change. Oh, well, 
there are upsides then. There are upsides, you know. The whole of Aberdeen will be flooded, but at least we'll have some nice cups of tea out of it. <laughs> Paul, do we have any listener feedback? Do you have any listener feedback? Anything on the Discord lately we need to bring up? No, Jolien was being very complimentary. He was listening to the episode on The Conjuring, which Hello, puts Jolien. me about, about 20 episodes back, to be honest. Well done. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Catching up. I think actually he's not... Playing catch up with Henry Kelly. He's not doing them strictly in order, so I think he's... Each to their own. Remind me what the conjuring... Remind me what the horror the conjuring was. Oh, it was that awful... Haunted semi, house. Semi, yeah. Semi-documentary docudrama. Based on a true that. story, yeah. Oh. oh, he appreciated, particularly my, I have to say, my take on the uh, nonsensical intellectualism of the movie and the whole idea of... I think, you know, the whole idea of... Demons only speaking Latin as if they all studied classic. Yes, yeah. Classics yeah. Is, is mental, isn't it? What are we looking at this week? This week, we are looking at a Korean offering on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it was made for Netflix, although I haven't checked. Hence my nickname for this week. No notes, Paul. Uh, called Hashtag, or Sharp, however you want to represent that uh, that punctuation mark. Hashtag Alive. I'm sure all the kids in the park would be very pleased to hear you say Sharp Alive. Well, I have no idea where the musical sting is going to come in that lot, but I'm going to assume it's happened by some miracle of editing. Hashtag Alive. As you say, it's, it's a very recent, it's a 2020 Netflix movie from a Korean production company. Not at all inspired by a, by a recent pandemic. Well, it has a lot of pandemic vibes, doesn't it? It's kind of a lockdown movie. There's it kind is. of a sort of disease-borne zombie infection going on. You want to go out in that now? No. And it's also got a lot of parallels with some other films we've seen. You get an early uh, warning system emergency broadcast system coming up on his phone, don't you? Yes. Yes, we do. Just like we saw in the previous movie. Yeah. Which movie was that, Rich? Sorry. Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me which one it was. Uh, Oh, it was Greenland. Greenland. Well, we don't see very much about the actual cause of this infection in this movie. We don't at all. It's just mentioned. They talk about dust or something. We do see the upshot, which is (laughs) a really, really, really well-acted uh, zombies. I, aren't I they? Them. I thought they were well acted as well. Brilliant. Really well. Do you know when you go to the Halloween night at your local theme park? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they don't really do it that well, do they? Yeah. yeah. The Unless you're on drugs. It, yeah. If you're on drugs, I guess it might be, you know, a bit scary. But these, like, the, 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 the mannerisms and the way they move, you know, they just jerked really aggressively, like slightly, like, like they were, they were, they were walking on peg legs, but they would just bump into corners and there was something really, they really convey the fact that these these weren't entirely sentient beings, you know, that they, they were going somewhere, but they didn't they weren't really cognizant of how to get there. It just really came across. Yeah. Now these zombies we were talking about this last time, weren't we, when we were talking about the other zombie film we watched. These are not your typical slow, shambling Hell sort of no. reawakened dead zombies. No. These are well, these, just like in 28 Days Later, these are creatures or humans that have been turned crazy into crazed cannibals by whatever disease or 
infection that uh, they've caught or been infected by. Yeah, so predictably. I think, did we look at Army of the Dead? Was that something we looked at? Yeah, where you had the alpha zombies who are fast yeah. and intelligent, and we had the shamblers who were the, the dead that they'd reanimated effectively. So here, they're, they're kind of in between shamblers and alpha, aren't they? They're kind of, they, they, they've got a bit of a brain to them. You know, if they hear a sound and they'll move towards it and they'll be able to locate where it's from and that kind of thing. But beyond yeah, they're, that, they're, they're not that bright, are they? Well, they shamble around aimlessly until something catches their attention and then they dash hell for leather and try and eat it. Now, they are cannibalistic, aren't they? But they, they are, yes. I mean, zombies are generally, aren't they? They don't really seem to eat their own kind, although they do sometimes, weirdly. I don't quite know what's going on there. Well, this is a common problem in zombie films and zombie stories, isn't it? And sometimes they lampshade it by really playing up to that. So in the Walking Dead series, at one point, yeah. they disguise themselves as zombies. They put, you know... <laughs> I don't put, remember that. That's brilliant. Dead bits on themselves. That is brilliant. And then they walk through the zombies like another zombie and you know, wow. pretend to be zombies. But yeah, in in most zombie stories, there's some way, I guess, that the zombies know who is infected and who isn't, and they're only really interested in the uninfected, the fresh meat, as it were. Right. Okay. So, but then they might turn on themselves if, if need be. If they're desperate, right. I think. Yeah. If they're desperate, right. Our, our first protagonist's home, it's, he's in a Korean high-rise, you know. He's just woken up to his mum and dad leaving to go on vacation, presumably, you know, saying there's food in the fridge kind of stuff. Take care of yourself. Do some shopping when you've got time. I mean, he wakes up to the beginnings of the formation of the zombie horde. The- yeah, this is... This is one of the ways it's like a lockdown movie, isn't it? Because he's going to be stuck in the house now, in the flat. He ain't moving out of there, no. no. This is uh, Jun Woo, I think his name is. Oh, Jun Woo? Yes, yes. And he's just a hes a young kid, isn't he? I guess he's 18 or 19 or something of that age. Possibly maybe. 20, 21. I don't know. But yeah, young. And, you know, he's a gamer and a... and a broadcaster, a Twitch streamer or something. He's got He's obviously got some streaming followers that he tweets out to or Instagrams or something. You see him on video to his followers time to time, don't you? And he starts off, he's playing some kind of online game in the, in the opening sort of few scenes, isn't he? Typical Korean kid, I guess. No, but I really like this, you know, this following this guy through this lockdown experience. I thought this was a strong bit of this movie, actually. I really enjoyed it. But, you know, he's going through day by day, very quickly, he starts to realise... Oh, the first thing he does was... He realises something bad is going on when his neighbour arrives, comes in. He's he's watched he's watched the zombies out the window because he's got a, a flat on the, I don't know, fifth or sixth floor or something, and he can look down at the sort of square below and all the people have gone crazy and he sees a policewoman get eaten and leave a gun behind and stuff like that. It's obviously going to be important later. Yeah, But then his neighbour arrives, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. His neighbour says, hey, I'm your neighbour, because you're a gamer and you probably don't know what day it is. And uh, I'm your neighbour from next, literally next door. It's the, it's the apartment next door, not not six down the corridor. He says, come on, let me in. You know, look, it's crazy out there. I'll be gone soon or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And of course, his neighbour goes crazy in the apartment. And then, of course, he's got to axe, axe him in the head. Or I don't know how he gets rid of him. No, he just pushes sure. him out the door. One of the great things about this, actually, is that John Woo doesn't, 
like lethally attack any of the zombies for, for a good part of the movie until the a good hour, gu- yeah, yeah, until the girl is coming across from the other flat. But until then, he goes out of the flat a couple of on a couple of occasions, sometimes with a golf club. And then there's that guy who comes into his flat, and he he has a knife, but he doesn't use it on them. He just pushes them out uh, or pushes them away all the time. Now, at some point, comms go down. Yeah, I think the TV stops working, and you know the net- telephone networks go down well, completely. It, at this point. He, he beats it up, doesn't he? It, oh, he, he loses internet because he tries playing his online game. And he's having trouble. He has bad cell phone reception in his flat, which I can relate to. I have the same problem here. Yeah. So if my internet connection went down, I'd have difficulty. Probably, I have to hang out of the uh, off the balcony. There used to be a cell on the abandoned, well, not abandoned, on the warehouse or, or, or mill building across the way there. But they then some Liverpool and burnt it down because it was five G. <laughs> no, not so. Sorry, prosaic, apologies yeah. to all. Liverpoolians there, I'm sorry. No, uh, it's just been demolished and they're rebuilding a new block of flats there. So there are no cell towers just over the way anymore. Was it a disused warehouse? It wasn't actually disused. It looked disused. But actually there was a textile company in there and I'm assuming it was employing people at very low wage. But on Friday and Saturday nights, hookers still take the punters around the back of it, yeah? I'm sure I would have noticed that or even patronised it. (laughs) (laughs) So the property they're living in is interesting, right? Was is that like social housing or is that what do you what do you think that? Well, it's hard to say in Korea because the private stuff and the social stuff looks very yeah, very high quality of both, won't it? I think, but still very Spartan and utilitarian, you know, somewhat utilitarian. Also. I don't know if you noticed, but it seemed that they all had very similar, if not identical, furniture. Like, the table that the girl had in her flat was identical to the table they sat at in that guy's flat on the eighth floor. And I think yeah. they had similar sofas as well. It's all like they were outfitted in a similar way. That may be a production choice on behalf of the film, of course, but it just maybe that's normal in Korea. I don't know. Well, I, when I lived in Korea, I mean, the housing is very Spartan utilitarian. To the extent that if you gave it to British people, they probably would think it's a bit of a prison cell, you know. Uh, not usually, there's no carpet usually, hardly ever. Uh, and there's lots of underfloor heating, which is, ah, oh, just luxury. Uh, except if you've got a dog. I didn't know how to work it because when I first went to Korea, I couldn't really, I couldn't really, you know, the, the thermostat controls, Modern and spanky and whatnot, you know, and uh, it's got several little those little soft touch buttons, and I didn't really know what I was pressing. I knew it was on, but I left the dog in there. And I came back and it was like thirty eight degrees in there. It was just absolutely scorching. The poor dog almost, well, I mean, it was drinking a lot of water after that. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but so so yeah, the underfloor heating is great, but you know, like all, all of these days are the same. You know, like their idea. of Interior decoration is very different. But I was thinking about this career. I mean, has cold winters. So you wouldn't mm. think they're facing constant insect infestation. I mean, that's why, like, if you live in South China, there's the tile floors. Uh, it's, it's, you just don't want insects in your home. So everything's quite bare. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. quite hard, clean surfaces. Also, previous to air conditioning, you want that because come late afternoon when the sun's strong, is you take several buckets of water, throw them on the roof, and then literally throw them 
like eight or ten buckets of water you just throw on your lounge floor kind of thing. Just oh, throw wow. it on there. Like a deep let, puddle. let it evaporate. And it would evaporate and take all the latent, all the all the residual heat out of the stone. Of your underfloor so, heating, yeah. Not well, this isn't trying no underfloor heating. Oh, no, see, yeah. So by the evening you, you, your stones cool down, then you get the cool air and, and the evening then becomes bearable kind of thing. Literally, I, yeah, when I first saw them doing it, I couldn't believe it. it's like eight buckets of water in, you know, in a twenty square foot twenty by twenty foot room. Literally like two inches of water on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it all goes, it just goes, you know, within about two or three hours. Yeah. And you've got you've got a cool floor for the evening kind of thing. So I mean there's there's very good reasons why they decorate the way they do. So yeah, it just seemed like a Korean apartment, but I don't think it was necessarily public housing. Uh, okay. No. The pu- public it, housing, the, private housing, all looks like that. Even their refrigerators were the same. Because he moves his fridge, doesn't he, after this guy tries to get in. I don't know what it is about the door locks in the apartments, but they don't seem to be very effective at keeping the zombies out, do they, those door locks? Well, first of all, they've got electronic keypad doors, haven't they? Like all of Korea. Yeah. So, and then the actual handle itself. I mean, presumably at some point the the, the electronic key system failed. Yeah. Although, but I don't think he, so. They no, he doesn't. Cause he, he no, because he uses the intercom to ring a neighbour of her. That's right. Like, oh, sorry, we'll get onto that in a second. And I, but, well, also at the end, they go to the eighth floor and they try a load of door handles and they can't get in most of them. So it's not like the keypads are. The electronic systems have failed. They've got electricity. I mean, he's able to charge his phone for the entire uh, thing, isn't he? Yeah. And the fridge is on still. But, yeah, he's... For some reason, they can't rely on the locks on their apartment doors. I don't know why. Uh, so he's pushed his refrigerator up against the door to make sure nobody can get in. Problem is that when somebody does get in, when they open the door... It and they start his food. Yeah, the fridge chop tips forward and opens, and all jars of kimchi presumably f- flop out onto the floor. And now, this is before we discover that there's another survivor across. There's two opposite-facing blocks, and uh, he only discovers because she puts a points a laser gun at his head, which presumably is tied tied to a rifle of some sort. No, no. Well, we've got to come to that, haven't we? Because first of all, he he's got to go through. Several days, you know, it counts up the days, doesn't it? You know, I think it's up to Yeah, it's day. like Desert Island, you know. There's lots of little Desert Island tasks, how to survive here, which I thought was really nicely done. And he's crap, isn't he? He doesn't really know what he's doing. That's the other endearing thing about this film, is our hero is a loser, as he admits later. He's a bit of a loser, he doesn't know what he's doing. So, like, he loses a lot of food with the fridge incident. And, you know, he's surviving off, like, fast food snacks and, you know, bags of crisps and whatever else he's got. He's sucking water off the table. Oh, well, that's only after day 10 when he, oh. he, he figures out that the water is off, doesn't he? He spills a bottle of water, and then he goes to the bathroom, and he turns the tap on, and nothing comes out. He hasn't even time. filled the bathroom with water. First thing you do in a pandemic. This is it. Fill all the containers with water, if you think the water's going to go off. But then, would you remember, really? Would you really think that? And is it realistic that the water would go off, but the electricity would still be on? Is that... Think that's realistic. No, it's not realistic. But I'll, I'll allow it. He's got to go now several days now without water and with dwindling food supplies. At one point, he's watching the television, so the television's still on, and an advert comes on, and he's rightly pissed off that in the middle of this, you know, national incident, they should still be putting adverts. And it's an, an advert for noodles, and he, I think he remembers he's got like a pot noodle in the cupboard, 
and he rushes off and makes it, doesn't he? So he's still got... <laughs> Slurps it down, yeah. appreciatively. Must be the best pot noodle he's ever had. And then at some point, he tries to go outside. He leaves his apartment with a golf club in hand. And there's just so many zombies knocking around. He doesn't, as I say, he doesn't actually hit any of them with the golf club properly. He just kind of bats them away or pushes them down. Now, he has a drone. Does he use a drone before he meets her? He does, Yeah, he does, he? yeah. He, he, he runs out of battery, but he answers to get it back somehow. No, 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 no. He, he's got two drones. The oh, one at the start is, is, is one of the DJI Phantom-type camera drones. And then later, he's also got a racing drone. So he's, he's obviously into his drones. The other cool thing about this film is, you know, the way they write with the technology and write around the technology. Because after he gets, he gets really mad at one point because I think he manages to get some signal on his phone and he listens to a voice message and it's from his family, his parents and his sister who yeah. were able to get back to the flat and he hears them. They're okay to start off with, yeah. Encountering zombies, break them, yeah. breaking them. And then they're not okay, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like they've probably been killed. And at that point, you know, he loses his mind, really. He loses all hope and he sobs. Mm. And it's quite a long scene of him coming to terms with that. And, um, yeah, eventually he... Uh, uh, this is the real lowest point for him, isn't it? Where he decides to kill himself. And he's uh, strung up an electrical wire or something on the. <laughs> There's lots of subtle humour in this scene, I think. Quite black humour, but like you know, when he's when he's he decides that it's a mistake. Well, what happens is is that a laser pointer appears. That's right. Yeah. Through the window from an apartment across the road, we don't see who it is at this point, and it starts pointing at one of his posters on the wall, and he turns around, and it's actually the word no. I think it was in English, actually. And she spells out a whole sentence, like... Something in, in Korean, which is the equivalent, apparently, to moron. <laughs> which, as you say, is quite funny. And he kind of realises that there's somebody out there trying to give him a message, and this gives him fresh hope. So he manages to free himself from the noose and drops down. In quite a darkly comic manner, yeah. yeah. His attempts to escape the, the noose aren't very successful to begin with. He runs over to the window and he looks out and he can see a girl there with binoculars and uh, she's got a laser pointer. I think it would be difficult though. Let's just talking about the science of this matter. It'd probably be quite difficult to point the laser pointer so accurately from such a distance. I think you were talking about tennis in the last episode and the angle, the accuracy with which the angle gonna... of the dangle. Yeah, because of the length of the court. You've got to get the ball back within quite a narrow... Yeah, angle. about 18 to 20 degrees, yeah. And obviously, you know, with a laser pointer, a slight movement of your hand is going to result in an enormous movement. So you're going to have to brace your hand, probably, aren't you, to get a steady... But I think you'd probably struggle over a distance you needed binoculars for, I would imagine. I don't know. Or use, like, a clamp from a chemistry set. Yeah, that that would be ideal, yeah. She chemistry. doesn't have a clamp from a, a chemistry set, though, A she? retort stand. Now... Um, so this is great because he's the first time he's got another human being to interact with uh, in their lockdown situation finally because he hasn't had any friends has he he's made a couple of social media posts but I don't think he knows that they're getting out and so he hasn't interacted with anybody he can't use his phone he can't get signal properly he's a young lad he's gone potty so I mean it's a lot for a young lad to deal with isn't it so he is uh, now able to like wave at her and 
Um, they can exchange messages by writing things on their phone screens and holding them up. Uh, and she's got an iPad that they can put messages on from across the way. You know, it's the yeah. uh, it's the apartment opposite, isn't it? I could do the same here. There's apartments opposite me if I wanted to. Um, but go on then. Uh, well, no, it's it's everybody's over there. That's all their bedrooms. So oh, and I have seen things. I may have said this before, but I've seen things that you shouldn't, shouldn't see. You shouldn't really see. Can you unsee them, Richard? Are they that bad? I wouldn't want to unsee them. They're quite pleasant. Oh, but, oh okay. But if their if their curtains are open, then what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to tell them. My flat, the front of my flat is all window. You know, it's all window. It's like a shop window. I don't have any non-window front of my flat. So what what you're saying is I, I, I wouldn't be able to look in one direction. And when I first moved in here, by the way, I didn't have any blinds in this room. Oh, God. It's like a, like a constant sex show. <laughs> Through, you know, an enormous window. Yeah, What am I supposed to do? Nothing you can do. Nothing I well, can do. Know. I have to look. Wave and say, do you mind if I join in? I mean, I mean, that has happened. Yeah, and not that I joined in. I mean, I was waved to come over, but I, thought, I didn't think it was. I didn't know what flat number to buzz. How can, how can you work that out? You can't. Well, the the answer actually, how you do work that out is you find the floor plans of the apartments, don't you, on the planning site, and then you can count oh dear. windows. <laughs> oh dear! This sounds like something you've actually done, Richard. <laughs> Please do not incriminate yourself anymore. In heist movies and stuff, there's always the guy at the screen. There's always a guy at the screen in these movies that can tell the hero which way to go down every corridor. They go, oh yeah, you know, you're in this place now, you need to turn left. There should be a locked door. There's an electrical unit. Pull the switch. You know, all that stuff. That's because in their previous life, they were rallycross rallycross co-driver. Look, look, we're getting away from the cut and thrust of this, which is, he's found a pal across from from him. Uh, she's She's dealing with it better. Than it is. She's a badass, isn't she? She's got it all sorted out. She's set up her apartment with like traps that she's got down. surplus water to feed the plants, even. She's got that much water. Yeah, and she's got decent food. So when she sees he's hungry, they rig up a line. First, she tries throwing a baseball. Good Koreans, obviously, uh, with their American heritage, as it were, can uh, um, play baseball. She tries to throw a baseball across, but it doesn't get anywhere near close enough, does it? So he has the bright idea of using his racing drone, and he takes a, a, a small line across Aww. to her. He does, yeah. So this and is very Desert Island, you know, you're stuck on a Desert Island, and it was, how do you get out of there, strategizing kind of stuff. And I thought this strategizing was done in a way that didn't really detract from the narrative at all, you know, it, it felt like it should be part of it, so... Yeah, so it, it, was really it wasn't good. shoehorned. It wasn't shoehorned in there at all, you know. Like they were throwing bottles at the zombies to disturb them and stuff like this. All these little, little ingenuities that they used, I thought, really fit well into to to to, to the story as a whole. And they're obviously also getting a lot out of the relationship, both of them. It's revealed that well, first of all, obviously she saved him from com- from committing suicide by using the laser pointer, but it's also revealed very briefly later that she'd also tried to commit suicide. And yes. sort of snapped out of it as well. So clearly, you know, oh, finding one another. Other. Yeah, exactly. But the, the other great thing about this film is they don't they don't take that schmaltzy bit of romance too far. No. Like most Hollywood movies, they would have had a clinch and a kiss toward the end. That doesn't happen here. I mean, no. you can well believe they might go on and be boyfriend and girlfriend, but you know, we're not watching it here. 
they're just they're just cute together, and, and it's nice to see um, without without it being too cliched. It is nice to see, yeah. Uh, and, and as I say, she is also far more capable than he is, generally speaking. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he does he does prove himself towards the end of the movie. He's 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 a slow starter, but he finishes fast. You know, I mean, yeah, he's just he just wasn't. What I mean is, he's not as um, competent with the old survival stuff, is he? No, I mean. And she claims to be afraid of heights, but she shows n- no sign of that whatsoever. She, she cheerfully abseils out of her window when they go and get stuff and runs across the zombie-filled square. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that I had a bit of difficulty accepting that, but I thought it was quite well done. I have like, to say, I've got to say, the first sort of two-thirds of this movie, the first two acts, I really enjoyed, I was all on board for. Yeah. I think the third act is the weakest because they just fall back on normal zombie movie tropes, really. First of all, yeah, she runs across the square to join him so that they can... The plan is to go up to the eighth floor, I think, and then um, possibly try and escape or something or wait for rescue. But she has to run across and fight her way through the zombies. She's always proved to be much tougher than he... uh, She's always proved to be much more aggressive with the zombies than he has been so far, like attacking them with axes and stuff, whereas he's generally not fought them properly. And so you see her like fighting her way across, and he has to come down and help her because there's far too many. I don't know what she was thinking. It was a bit crazy to do that. Then they go up to the eighth floor, and they wind up in an apartment of this guy who rescues them from a serious situation. The third survivor, yeah. And... This is really another another old trope, isn't it? Because he welcomes them, he gives them water, and he gets some tinned food out, some spam. What's the and twist? Is there a twist coming? And she's very suspicious of him, but he hands her the water, and uh, John Woo says, "Yeah, you know, it's okay. You can drink it," kind of thing. Which really telegraphing the fact that a few moments later, turns out the water was drugged. He's falling asleep. He this new guy gets out some cable ties and drags her into the bedroom you think oh god what's that going to be he's going to have his dirty way no he's not going to have his dirty way his wife's going to have a dirty way (laughs) his wife is a zombie he's got tied up in the bedroom on a pulley system so he can control where she is in the room and she's going to feeding time exactly he's going to feed this girl to to his wife so there's a twist yeah the twist was a bit corny and hackneyed wasn't it Uh, and also I I agree with you you know the, the dash across the car park all these zombies coming from all directions and, you know, cut the, cut the shot, cut the shot, she's okay, she's moving forward. And then another another horde and somehow when we cut shot again, the horde has disappeared kind of thing, you know. it. I mean, but I, I, I mean, I thought the sinister, you know, the sinister guy with ulterior motives was quite well played. I mean, I didn't really yeah. see it coming. I didn't see the drugging coming, to be honest with you. No, I mean, maybe you're right. It was a bit of a surprise, but... You know, it it is a classic kind of turn, isn't it? You know, the the guy who's offering you to help has got an ulterior motive. Yes, yeah. And, yeah, drugging the water, I mean, it, that seems a bit unrealistic. You know, he passes out, but he comes back, you know, a few minutes later to, to rescue her. And, of course, he rescues her. Uh, and he she kills both him and the wife, the zombie wife. And they... Escape up to the eighth floor. They'd seen some military helicopters knocking around, and true enough, 
just as the zombie horde comes bursting through and they think it's all over, helicopter comes over the lip of the building and does rescue them. It's a happy ending. It's a Hollywood ending. So the last 10 minutes or so, or the last 15 minutes, it's like, are there zombies in the corridor? Corridor? No, there's no zombies in the corridor. Oh, there's a zombie in the corridor kind of stuff. You know, it's like, you know, uh, look behind you kind of stuff. And it got a bit schmaltzy towards the end. And then, of course, they get up to the roof and there's an anticlimax where the helicopter doesn't arrive and the zombies arrive again. Uh, and then the helicopter turns up. And, of course, they were nearly going to shoot one another as well. So they were about... After they'd killed the guy and his zombie wife, they thought it was all over. So yeah, the false anticlimax. Like they can hear the helicopter, but it doesn't arrive, and the zombies do arrive. And just as the zombies are about to overpower them, the helicopter, you know, whooshes up over over the lip of the building, and uh, the guys in the the military guys in the helicopter shoot the zombies dead, and they're whisked away to safety. So you know, soaring ending, kind of a little bit cliched. but I thought there was enough emotional breadth in the movie itself that it didn't really matter. I, you know, I, I thought we, we, we got to live their lives with them. We got to feel what they were feeling. I, I thought the suicidal moments were not entirely believable. But the rest of his, the, the rest of the portrayal of his difficulty in, in, in this extreme lockdown, I thought was, was done pretty well. I mean, so, Paul, when you're dealing with zombie outbreaks and infections, you deal with it in your stride, do you? You, you never think just to end it all, rather than fighting the hordes of zombies off? Dwindling water supplies? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying his deterioration to a point where he decided to commit suicide, I don't think was necessarily dealt with mm. in, in a way that was convincing. Oh, it was a bit drama school, wasn't it? But yeah. But the rest of his emotions, I thought, you know, were, were, were spot on in terms of the difficulties of, of facing a zombie horde. I mean, arguably, some of those things, some of those sequences, like that last section and that bit, it needed a bit more time. But, you know, this movie didn't drag. It was pretty short. It felt pretty short, anyway. Uh, it was a good length, I think. Um, so uh, there's a lot fresh about the, about this movie. I, I, I say I love the details, and it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But there's perhaps something about Korean relationship with technology and mobile phones and stuff that makes him really good at this. One of the great bits is where after he smashed his television up in anger, uh, he realises that he can listen to the radio, but the only oh, radio yeah. the only radio he's got is the FM radio app on his phone. I've talked about this before, Paul, but the radio modules in modern mobile phones are software-defined radios. You can get them to tune anything with just a software patch. So uh, it was explained, He, exp- I think it's explained that, you know, this was put in as a sort of an emergency broadcast mechanism for mobile phones, that they must ah. have an FM receiver or something. But regardless, the software-defined radio in a mobile phone can be used to tune to FM like it can any frequency. So the only restriction is that they need an antenna. And I think almost any phone that I've seen requires you to plug in a wired headset into the earphone jack and it then uses that bit of wire as the antenna. Well, the software-defined radio is normally used for the air interface for the mobile phone, right? But you're using software to sort of patch it or to reconfigure it. To make it FM receiving, okay. Yeah, it's the interesting thing is these days, maybe it was always the case, 
but the dividing line between hardware and software is malleable, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it used to be the case, of course, you had to build a circuit out of resistors and capacitors at the right resonant frequency. <clears throat> at the right resonant frequency to pick up particular radio waves. But now or you can valves. Just, yeah, or, or valves. But these days, you can do it all in the software. The only difficulty is that the antenna in the back of a mobile phone is set up to receive microwaves, uh, and it's not particularly good at coupling with, you know, the longer waves of FM. so Or burnt down 5G mass, even. Or burnt down so, 5G mass, yeah. <laughs> so that's why they have to use a different wire. They have to have a different, different antenna for the FM. And, of course, he realises, looking at all of his equipment, that all of his headphones are wireless. They're all AirPods or, you know, Bluetooth or whatever. So he's just got no wired headphones, which is a cute observation, although... Yeah. It's amazing to think that a kid could have all those devices and not have a, is billion, it, is it, a billion free wired headphones. Sure, he's a hobbyist techie. You'd think he'd have one, one or two with wires. Yeah, yeah, surely. Or he could just, he could probably rig one up. He could probably solder something. I think if you fly racing drones, you're probably handy with a solder. Yes. Guy. So those desert island moments I did really enjoy. They were all fairly convincing, I thought. And he put plastic bags up at the window, just like the other lockdown disease movie that we saw. But his were all multicoloured, multicoloured grocery bags from different shops or whatever, different colours. I think he was just using them like curtains, wasn't he? I don't, yeah. I don't know why they didn't have curtains. Maybe he ripped them down or something. Uh, they also had a nice kind of rack on their. They didn't have proper balconies. It was just like a Juliet balcony, wasn't it? With a railing, you could open the windows, but there was no cantilever bit out of the building. Just no. you know, flat against. But they had a nice railing and then they had this little like rack hung on the railing that you could put plants and stuff in. And they used it to collect rainwater, didn't they? That was quite nice. So yeah, this- I like your observation about the Korean the Korean take the Korean love of technology and how how all that kind of came into the movie and didn't seem to be obtrusive or intrusive. Uh a lot of movies, they'd just get that wrong, wouldn't they? They would do something dumb. Our uh, COVID app, our tracing app, you know, the, was it two billion, three shit, billion, the three billion dollar disaster. Yeah. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was one 18 year old boy in Seoul that had done something himself that was yeah. much, much better, you know. Uh, than, well, the oh, dumb thing think- about the app is, I don't know whether you realize this. Did we talk about this? But you, if you check in somewhere, you know, you can yeah. scan a QR code, whatever, and check into yeah, a Yeah, as game. I do. Yeah, being a law-abiding citizen, yeah. There's no way to check out. So No, there isn't, no. So you're there until Forever. midnight of that day. You know, so if you, if you check in at 6 p.m., you're there for another six hours, apparently, even if you only spend half an hour there. Well, it should know when you leave by tracking your GPS or, or your, whatever. Dozens of ways of doing it. No, the Bluetooth is there to... To transmit the information. For, no, to look for other devices also ah, using Bluetooth. So you can have a sense of who is in proximity to you. Yeah, the the venue checking is irrelevant if you're using the Bluetooth. It is, yeah, yeah. But at the at the very least, just give me a checkout button. What What's the problem with that? So what's good is that finally the UK has embraced QR codes because they're such a wonderful thing. Yeah. Although we haven't really embraced them like we should do. 
Well, uh, the funny thing about QR codes is, um, I think they're really come, powerful, though. But I think they've come along. Uh, look, we've got QR codes now, but you can also read barcodes much, much better than you used to be able to. Yeah, but I mean, QR code is just—it's just an elevated barcode, really, isn't it? Yeah, but this is the point, though. You don't really need a QR code now, do you? You could just read a barcode. Um, so, I mean, when I go to Sainsbury's now, I can take my phone, press the Sainsbury's Shop button. Yeah, I can use my phone to scan all the barcodes, just as you point shopping. my camera at it. Yeah, it tells me how much it is as I go along. And then I go to the checkout at the end, a self-service checkout. I just scan a QR code on the checkout. And it transmits my basket to the machine, and then I just pay on the machine. Yeah. But you were talking about an app that can identify plants, Paul, just by the leaves and flowers and stuff. Yeah. Picture I mean, this. Yeah. I mean, if you can do that, and I think Google Lens can do the same thing anyway, so you didn't need to buy that app, Paul. Well, Paul, I think we better score alive, hashtag alive. Did we say they both get out safe and sound? They both get out safe and sound. Lots to say. For me about this I, I i like the general serious korean tone of it you know um there's an idea i mean there are some korean values being transmitted here aren't there is there uh, a thing here about about a sober 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 approach to life you know uh, a confucian approach to life shall we say is there a thing about you know this disease infecting people of career of Seoul. Are they in Seoul? Is that presumably that Seoul? Isn't it? That's the weak point, because at the end it says 50,000 people have died, and mm. then it's like, here are the survivors. There's like one survivor per apartment block. I think <laughs> yeah. that might be... That, that was a translation problem, I think. I think it's more like 50 million. Like, nearly everybody's dead, basically. Oh, is there a... Hmm, is there a kind of population-level neurosis in South Korea about... North Korea and the proximity to them. Because, you know, it's the same people, isn't it? Ah, so you're saying this wasn't necessarily wholly COVID-inspired, but also but also North Korean horde-inspired. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, let me I tell wonder. you, I, mean, I, lived, I lived right next to the demilitarised zone. The DMZ. I yeah. The DMZ. I lived about, uh, for some of my time in Korea, I lived... For twelve months in one of the model South Korean villages, which is this weird thing, is when, when, when capitalism's fighting communism, capitalism suddenly becomes very ideal village and very communistic about how it presents itself. So on the border there, most of the villagers don't work. Uh, they're paid fifty thousand dollars a year, but or, or that there are thereabouts by the Korean government to, to, to plow essentially family-sized farming lots and live an idyllic life of plenty. Just by ploughing the soil, kind of thing. So it's it's you know it's a wholly recreated propaganda exercise for people with binoculars on the other side to see. Wow, they're farmers too. Wow, they're not you know they're farming little low scale farms like we do. But look, <laughs> they're all driving these amazing huge cars, kind of thing. And uh, I mean, those Koreans could go and work in the local economy and earn a fairly similar amount, but they they earn a lot more. Then you know maybe double the, the the average wage up there in the boondocks. Well, it's just uh, for doing, it's just like an acting job. Little. It's, it's an like, acting job, a very well paid acting job, a very poor acting kind of thing. Uh, I lived up there for a little while, uh, and of course there is a huge paranoia in that area of Korea, right up by the border. So you go to a Seven Eleven, and you know in there there's always posters like saying you know report report spies report 
uh, report people who are not escapees, you know, seem to be suspicious. So it's just everywhere, you know, that report on people who are behaving. So there is all that. And of course, the tunnels, you know, every every park up on that border is inspected for tunnels rigorously for for incursions from North Korea that aren't escapees, you know, that might have a military or military reconnaissance nature to them. Wouldn't a North Korean stick out like a sore thumb? And typically the males are, what, five foot three, five foot four? And the female's probably under five foot. So the average Korean male now is five foot eight, five foot nine. So South Korean male, sorry, uh, is five foot eight, five foot nine. So that would be the first thing. So yes, they would stand out. Yeah, really, I'm talking about their behaviour, their mannerisms, uh, their their deportment. The language hasn't really separated in what the 50, 60 years that they, they haven't sure. been together. I'm not talking about language. I mean, um, but even you think, you know, it, it being uh, a, a very formal, a Stalinist state, I, th- I think it's Stalinist. Uh, I mean, you'd think the, the formalisms of North Korea would some be somehow outdated or, you know, somewhat anachronistic. I don't think they are. Korean's not that kind of language. Uh, so in terms of dialect and accent, I don't think, you know, I think it would. there's not that kind of... The Koreans that I spoke to from whatever part of the country in South Korea pretty much all spoke the same. It's not like Japanese or English where you get people speaking in completely different ways where you go different parts of the country. It's but they, fairly standard. they wouldn't have the same cultural touch points. You know? Oh, no, no. They, I mean, it, that, as soon as you... You know, if you I ask, said, I'll be back, everyone would know what the fuck I was talking about. But, yes, yeah. You know. Yeah. But presumably, you know, if we're talking about the kind of missions that we're talking about, then... They go and live in a model South Korean village. The the music in this film was pretty good too. Actually, a couple I of didn't tracks. notice. I, I think I was so interested in this movie, I didn't notice. Well, there was an there's like an EDM electronic thing near the start. Yeah, I think. and then there's a bit of sort of rap, hip hop style. Do you there call it, is, yes. Do you call it K rap, or is that just crap? <laughs> it's fresh again. It was different, so I enjoyed hearing it. Yeah. Listen, we better start scoring this movie before... Uh... You go first, Rich. Sorry, go Well, okay. Let's do, as we often do at the start, let's do the acting. And I think the acting was pretty decent on the whole. Uh, especially, as you say, the extras doing the zombie roles. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Great work. So I'll give this an eight. I loved the lead male. I thought he was really good. He was good. I, I, li- I liked he his dyed hair. It made him difficult to uh, recognise on his family picture, didn't it? It does, rather, yeah. But lots of Korean boys will do that. And I, I, he kind of, you know, he, he, he was trying to portray the kind of pizza delivery boy. Two characters set against each other, counterpointed in that, in that sense. Uh, all worked really well, and the zombie's great. So I'm going to give it an eight. Excellent. All right. So how about Fear Factor, scariness? <sighs> What I liked here was the fact that there wasn't much gore. I mean, I do like a bit of splatted brain. When you when you when you when you're killing zombies, it's nice to have a bit of squelch. And we didn't get any of that. And I think that's to their credit, although I would have liked to have seen more gore. Uh, I think that was a nice take on the zombie movie. That it didn't have to be rivers of blood and splatted brains everywhere. So I like that. I, I thought they took So I like the fact that they, they took a zombie movie and did something a little bit different with it. Uh, 
behind your stuff wasn't too hackneyed. It did towards the end, I think it did get hackneyed, but mostly it was suspenseful and pretty scary. Also, the clouded eyes, the blooded clouded clouded over eyes, and everything really worked to make it fairly tense movie. So I'm going to give it a six point five. John Woo, you know, I mentioned before that he didn't really attack the zombies until quite late in the film. I like that because, you know, just because it seems everyone has turned into a zombie is not going to make everybody into a killer, a natural-born killer. It's not going to be easy to put a golf club through somebody's head, no matter how ill they look, or perhaps because they, they look so ill. It just wouldn't come naturally. So I thought it was realistic. And consequently, it's scarier. The zombies are scarier because, you know, he's not really down for eliminating them. So they, they're going to stick around. And I loved also the way they had a habit of... One way they had of getting away was, you know, he, he'd trip them over or make them fall over and they'd just have a massive kind of pile-up. Zombie pile, pile on, yeah. And that would enable yeah. him to get away. But that's, again, it's really scary and very dehumanising of them, isn't it? Like they're all in a pile. Uh, there was a jump scare as well when something jumped out at them at one point. Uh, yeah, it was quite effective. The scariest thing really is just the lockdown thing, isn't it? The scary idea that he's going to be stuck in his flat just running out of food. And, and crushing inevitability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, reaching the point where he was going to kill himself. That's quite bleak and certainly depressing, if not scary. I mean, it struck me... It's one thing running out of water, it's another thing not being able to flush your toilet. I mean, when he has that dream sequence where he imagines his parents and his sister coming back home. Oh, yeah. The first thing you do is say, don't go in the bathroom, for Christ's sake. (laughs) 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 He's got a plumber out straight away. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so for scary factor, I'll give it um, a seven. How about special effects? Did it uh, affect you? Special effects were good, weren't they? All those zombies, nicely yes. done, nice makeup. The makeup was great. And, yeah, the whole ambience of the place, um, the, the production design, which we sometimes put in here. As I say, I didn't totally understand the dynamic of what kind of place this was, whether it was high-end or low-end and stuff. I don't have those Mid-end, cultural. just standard, lower-middle class, I think. Because, um, you know, like I say, the fridges seem to be the same and the sofa seem to be the same. So, But that's it about Korea. You live in LG Universe and you live in Samsung Universe out there. <laughs> right, yeah. you, live in, you live in Kia Universe. I mean, the chai balls are huge, you know, they just dominate life. Yeah, yeah. So it's conceivable, you know, that, that uh, when they move in, they get a free, you know, yeah. it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Samsung TV and a free, uh, you know, LG fridge, you know, for everybody and they haven't replaced <laughs> them. It's entirely conceivable. In fact, the apartment blocks are often built by LG and Samsung, so. Ah, uh, yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah, for all of that, I'll give it a seven for the special effects. Interesting. When you're moving house in Korea, like what, because these were atypical, usually, like in the slightly higher end ones, the rather like your apartment, it's a full glass front kind of thing. Yeah. Without a balcony, usually. Balconies are fairly rare. Uh, And so they have those kind of uh, house moving lifts. Where it's a platform, you put all your furniture on it, it lifts it like 24 floors up to the window. Oh, and you just and put it in through the window. They put it all in through the window. It's, it's amazing. Brilliant. To watch. That's perfect. Yeah. That's such a good idea. It's so quick. Like it arrives. Yeah. And then it's up within minutes. And they moved, they moved everything in within minutes. And then it's down again and gone kind of stuff. It's crazy. 
brilliant because it takes so long to move into one of these apartments here. They have to move it all. We've only got one lift, so everything Do you has have to a service go. lift. No, no service lift. Oh, that's so everything site, to, isn't it? Absolutely. So everything has to go through the one lift that everyone else is trying to use. Don't you have rubbish chutes you could use? For moving out, potentially, yeah. But. It's so cool you've got rubbish chutes. Have you ever slid down one, drunk? <laughs> no, Paul, that would, you would die. You would die. Really? Well, you'd end up in a bin full of broken glass and But the kids that live there, surely. <laughs> oh, Little urchins. The Baker Street Irregulars live down there. <laughs> <laughs> No, we've not done plot and we've not done the other thing. It's fresh. For me, this is fresh. And I love the techie elements. Yeah, it got a bit hackneyed. It's a zombie movie. It's got to do it in the time allowed. What can you do? But um, I, I enjoyed it. So I've got to give it an eight. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It was easily accessible. But also it was quite thoughtful at the same time, which I don't think is an easy combination. So for all those reasons, I'm going to give it an eight. I've just got to say, this is particularly for Jolien's benefit. I know... Probably sounds as though we've just rushed through that section where we did the scores, and it may have sounded like we were talking really fast. Uh, and I just want to apologise. It's three thirty a.m., and you know we've been talking for one hour forty minutes. So if this, if I edit this down, or if you edit this down to an hour, it'd be a miracle, Paul. It's so just you- end of term, <laughs> end of term vibes, isn't it? You know, sign each other's shirts and get out of here. Burn your books. <laughs> Be rude to the music teacher. So what was your overall score? Oh, right. Okay, I'm just thinking about what I scored. Well, hi. I, I, I'm going to go an eight on this, just generally. Yes, uh, I like that score. And I, too, will give it an eight. If you like zombie oh, movies... This is a definite wrong. recommend, yeah. yeah. It's very much a post-28 Days Later zombie. You know, it's a disease. Affects living people and makes them run really fast. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Definite. So, Richard, it behooves me to ask you. Uh, yeah. I think you're making a choice. Yeah. What um, movie will you be choosing for us to watch for our fabled episode 52, or potentially 53? Because we might have a Christmas special coming, isn't that right? But if we do that and, and we're carrying on afterwards, then we'll need another movie for the following week. So, yes, choices. Well, look, here, Rich, I'm going to give you uh, oh, I'm going to give okay. you four choices just to really Flip. throw a curveball here. Okay. So I don't know how your short-term memory is, but there are four things to remember. One, Cube. Two, Black Widow. Three, Fast and Furious 9. And four, mysteriously, Fermat's Room. All right. Listen, I know you want to see Fast and Furious 9. I don't particularly. I mean, I'd like to, but it's not like I'm not yearning for it. Yeah, the thing about Fast and Furious 9 is, the thing about Fast and Furious is, I don't like the way they, they're they very keen on keeping the dead actor in, in the, the, the films. You know, I As a consequence, though, I think of the four films you've listed there, the one that I know little or least about, and the one that most excites me as a consequence, is the Fermat's Room movie. Ooh, which, well, I'm intrigued. For all I know, might you don't not even be it, a Richard. film. I don't we know nothing about it. Nothing. Okay, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's go unseen into Fermat's room. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, until episode 52, when who knows what will happen. This is me and Paul signing off. See you in the next one. <laughs>